Matthew 17, verse 24. This is an unusual incident when Jesus and Peter experienced the miraculous provision of exactly the right sum to pay off a debt in one go. You say, Jesus had a debt? Surely not. Well, debts aren't always the result of poor financial practice. Jesus wouldn't have been guilty of poor financial practice. But life in this world often throws up situations where we owe money for some reason or other. One quite common situation is a tax bill, which many of us might have experienced. And quite often you could consider a tax bill a sort of debt. It's in arrears. It's something you owe to the authorities. And Jesus and Peter had a significant sum, relatively significant, we'll see in a moment, not earth-shattering, but it wasn't small change, a significant sum that they owed the temple authorities. And that's the background to this little passage. Okay, verse 24. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asked? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Now, the setting of this is very interesting. I always find these things interesting, and I feel they help, me, help it to live for me, so I trust that's true for you. They came back to Capernaum after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum. What do we know from the Gospels about Capernaum? Well, we know that this was where they were based. This is basically the home base area for Jesus and the disciples. And then it says, Peter came into the house. It's just a throwaway phrase in a way in verse 25. There is very good evidence that this house was Peter's house and was actually the house which had the ceiling and the, the roof broken for the man to be lowered down. So Peter had quite a few hassles through having Jesus in his house. Uh, and it's quite likely that this was Peter's own home, and that he opened it up to Jesus and to the core group of disciples. And in many ways, this was the nearest Jesus had to a home and a home base, this house in Capernaum. Now, after a ministry trip which you can read in the rest of that chapter. They've been out round Galilee. They come back to Capernaum. And Peter is approached by the local collectors of the temple tax, which is expected to be paid like a poll tax, really, for each individual, I think probably male, in the area to the temple. And the collectors of the tax have noted that Peter and Jesus, but particularly that it's Jesus they're interested in, have not paid the tax that's due presumably because they've not been around. They've been, not been in Capernaum. This poll tax, as we might call it, was to the temple authorities. It was not like the Roman taxes, which the Jews would have felt quite indignant about and a bit 
you know, a bit grumpy about. This was a religious sort of tax, and actually it was rooted in the Bible. It was a quite legitimate and righteous thing to do. It was linked in with the Exodus instructions about paying a tax representing those who were saved out of Egypt. And thankful to God representing that. Now, it had come down to a tax to the temple authorities. The tax for an individual was two drachma. Now, two drachma was roughly two days' wages. So you can quickly do your little calculation. You suddenly have to find two full days' wages, just like that, as an extra tax bill. Because that's what it probably boiled down to. It was a reasonable amount, but it wasn't crippling. So what do we have here? We have a mundane, righteous, legitimate sort of debt, which is owed by Peter and Jesus. And I think there's a bit of a parallel with where we stand as a church with our £350,000 that we owe, and we do owe, to finish off paying for this refurbishment. You see, it's actually been paid, that money. We've paid it to the contractors and suppliers. They're happy. They've gone off with their bills paid. But friends of ours have lent us some money so that we could complete that payment. Now, £350,000, although it's a lot of money to most of us as individuals, actually, relative to the project, it's not a huge amount. The project of the refurbishment was £1.7 million. If you add the purchase of the building and earlier work done, we're talking a number of millions of pounds. And actually, perhaps £3 million. And actually, £350,000 is only a small amount of that. But, with respect, in an area like Winchester, £350,000 probably is the price of many a family home. There may be some of you in this church, in this room, whose family homes are worth more than £350,000 because Winchester is quite an expensive property area. And so, uh, in relative terms to the size of the church, 350 members, to the size of the project, to the size of the building, it's sort of not that spectacular a debt to have. It's not a debt we owe to the bank. Hallelujah. So there's not that urgent feel that, wow, any time now the bank could call in collateral or, you know. I know churches that have quite substantial loans from banks. God has not led us that way. Praise the Lord. And I'm grateful for that. But it is something we've got to pay off. It is a debt. It is something we owe. It is an incompleteness that needs to be put right. It could all seem, frankly and honestly, it could seem a bit mundane and a bit of a nuisance. Aren't we in the building? Yes, we are. Aren't we sitting on the seats? Yes, we are. Don't we have this pleasant blue carpet, not the jazzy thing we had? Yes, we have. Don't we have all the bells and whistles that make John talk to you so clearly and powerfully as he is at the moment? You know what I mean, the techie stuff. And don't we have it all? Yes, we have it all. We're all in here. And it could seem a bit routine. The pressure is off. Well, Peter, in this passage, found himself with a mundane but reasonable debt that needed to be paid. To not pay the tax would have displayed contempt for the temple and for its ways. Now, actually, the question the tax collectors ask in verse 24 may imply that they thought Jesus was going to make some righteous, religious, political point. Jesus was quite capable of stirring things. And he was quite capable, we know, of turning tables over in the temple. So, and and he, he would sometimes be, rightly so, quite confrontational with um, religious uh, leaders who he felt were hypocritical. 
the fact is, as we're going to see, he has a different approach, righteous approach, because this is a legitimate tax that's rooted in God's word. Uh, but we'll come back to that in a moment. At the moment, the, the collectors are slightly suspicious. Has he not paid it because he wants to make some point or cause some trouble? Well, Peter is quite quick to say, no, no, he pays taxes. Peter knows the righteousness of his Lord. He knows he respects the temple. And Peter goes into the house in verse 25. Why does he go into the house? Well, he goes in the house, I think, probably to try and find the money to pay the tax. Why not? That seems the logic of what happens. Is he going to pay it from his own resources? Quite possibly. Again, these disciples were not uh, destitute. They weren't without money. We know that Judas Iscariot was the treasurer of the disciples. He was the treasurer of the whole team. Perhaps he was going to Judas. Perhaps he was going to go to Judas Iscariot and say, Judas, we need quite a hunk of money, actually. We need four days' wages for myself and Jesus. We've got a tax bill. I mean, was he going to go to, uh, to Judas? We don't know. We never will know. But he went into the house, presumably, to find means to pay the tax. But suddenly, this mundane chore turned into an opportunity to receive a revelation about who Jesus Christ was and is, and to experience a miracle. So suddenly those two things came through on this apparently mundane chore of a debt that needed paying. And I want to take some time just to briefly talk about us, but talk about these two things. First of all, what was a routine situation became an opportunity for a fresh encounter with Jesus and who he was. Just look what happened in those few verses. First of all, Jesus gave a remarkable godlike insight into what had gone on. This was no ordinary man. How did Jesus know what had happened? It wasn't that Peter said anything. It says very specifically, Jesus was the first to speak. Jesus showed Peter that he knew exactly what was going on. Now, Jesus demonstrates that godlike uh, character at other times, but this is a very, very mundane situation in which he does it. And I just want to say to you, Jesus can surprise us in this mundane thing. Maybe you're a bit routine. Okay, oh, another gift day. Well, we'll scratch around and see what's in the bank when we get to March. Or, or maybe, you know, oh, well, even if they don't get it all, they can get it again. It, you know, it takes two years, so what? Maybe it all sort of feels like that to you. Well, I want you to stir it up this morning. Can we not meet Jesus in this? Let's let Jesus speak to us. Let's say, is there something fresh? I believe we're on a bit of a time in the church, actually. I was going to say roll. I don't think that's how I describe it. But God's moving. We had a wonderful weekend last weekend. We had some good times of worship. I feel God was speaking to us this morning. Let's be sensitive that Jesus can do something in what might seem a bit of a routine, mundane thing. He can do something in your life and in your finances and in your interaction with him and us, too, as a church. Why not? Jesus, Jesus made clear to a little bit more to, to, uh, to, to um, Peter who he was. This business about the sons paying the tax, it's very important. You see, this tax was legitimate, as I keep saying. It was a reasonable, in fact, you could argue a God-ordained thing. It was relinked to what God had ordered after the Exodus as a, as a token of gratitude and that, that people had been spared judgment and they belonged to God. There was a whole story behind it. And it became become this temple tax. 
But Jesus makes clear to Peter that he is the Son of God. It's a remarkable revelation of who Jesus is. Because what he actually says is, I'm actually the son of the one we're giving this money to. That's what it boils down to. Now, you're giving it to the temple. The temple is God's home. The temple is where God's worshipped. I'm he. Now, it's one of those little moments when the curtain goes back with Jesus. There's several of them in the Gospels. They're quite exciting and they're quite mysterious. When it just seems the curtain goes back and suddenly this is not just an ordinary man. This is not just an ordinary man. And Jesus is saying to Peter, hang on a minute, it's not just you and me with a tax bill. I want you to understand who I am. Now, I believe Jesus can do that with us. It's not just you and the church, you've got a few things to get off your chest, get some bills to pay. Jesus is in this, folks. The Son of God is with us. The Holy Spirit is with us. Come on, let's let him speak to us in it. Individually and corporately. Let's meet Jesus. Let's have an encounter. We're going to have some encounter evenings. We're going to call our Sunday evenings encounter from the end of March. Looking to, to do some new aspects of things. But let's encounter him before we ever get there. Let's do it in the, in the gift day. Amen? Let's do it in preparing for it. Now this was reinforced the fact that Jesus was no ordinary man in, the, in other things that happened. There was a, having said that he didn't need to pay the tax, which he didn't. I mean, there's so much more I'd like to say. Oh, I'm going to say it. Can't help it. You know, when you read the background, it's fascinating. This tax, there were people exempt from the tax. The priests were exempt from it. And the actual uh, family of the king of, of Israel, if there was a king, was exempt from it. Well, of course, Jesus is the great high priest. He is the priest to end all priests. And he is the king of all kings. So the two categories were exempt. He more than fulfilled, as well as being the son of the owner of the temple, the son of the one in whom the temple was built, in whose name it was established, God, the creator. So there was no way Jesus needed to pay this tax. But just look at something else. His humility and his meekness. He is not going to stand on his rights. He's not going to assert the fact, look, I'm the son of God. I don't need to pay the temple anything. He is actually going to blend in, as it were, in a healthy way. He's going to maintain solidarity with men and women. He did this again and again. He did it when he he was baptised. He did it many other times. Jesus was a man. He was not just God, he was man. And it says, man, he pays the tax. I, I am also with you, Peter. We want to, he said, we want to not, not so much just offend, it's not like some silly politeness. He doesn't want to call, he doesn't want to rubbish the temple. He doesn't want to appear to be some sort of iconoclast. He's not. He doesn't like hypocrisy, but he's, he is a man who honours God. He's a man who obeys his father. And he's going to do that. He's going to show that. And so a humility and a grace comes through. This is the Son of God, but there's humility here and grace. I wonder if I can dare to say, can we all be in humility and grace as we go to the gift day? Perhaps you might say, well, you know, maybe it's not my problem really. I've done my giving. Or you could say, well, I don't know. I might be... um, might not be here in a year, might not be able to enjoy the benefits, you know, I might be moving my job. You know, you could be very offhand in a number of ways, but I'm not saying people are, I'm just saying it's very possible, I could think like that. But actually, let's all stand together and say, let's be humble and gracious. I'm part of it. We're part of it. Jesus said, I'm part of this. I needn't do it, but I'm going to do it. 
And I just encourage you, let's be in solidarity together as we get to the gift day. Let's every one of us say, this is our tax, if you like, our debt, our burden, our duty, our responsibility. Let's discharge it. Amen? Let's just be together in it, whatever the future holds, whoever we are. I think Peter learned a lot from Jesus on this occasion too about um, submitting to authorities. I'm not actually going to read it now, but you can look for yourself at 1 Peter 2 sometime. When you look up 1 Peter 2, you'll see an amazing, wonderful teaching about, uh, particularly verses 13 to 17 actually, about how we should behave towards authorities and those over us uh, and even governments. And Peter is clearly very clear that Christians submit to authorities and powers. They honour the king. They show regard for those who are in authority. I think he learned this lesson good. He learned it here and he learned it in other times from Jesus. Jesus did not rubbish the authorities even when they failed and were mishandling things. There was a sort of respect for authority which comes through and it comes through here. But then another amazing thing happens here. Jesus has authority over creation. This whole incident of the fish was another example for Peter to really take on board that he was not dealing with an ordinary man. Jesus Christ is God and man. He's the author of creation, manifest in the flesh. (laughs) That's a mystery, but it's a truth. He is the one who made all things in human likeness as a man. Born of a woman. He got tired. He felt grief. He felt hunger. He felt pain as he was soon to experience to an excruciating degree at the crucifixion and the whipping before it. He was a real man. This was not some sort of angel pretending to be a man. He was a man. But he was God become man. And this is just an example of it. There's this mysterious, it's a bit like the stilling of the storm. Why did he do it with the fish stuff? Well, he's giving revelation again. It's revelation to Peter. It's revelation to Peter. And Peter's learning that this is God. Like the storm. They fall on their faces when he says, be still. The storm's still. This is one of those incidents. Jesus knows every fish in the sea. And he knows what's in its mouth. And he can just organise and ordain it so that that is how this debt is paid. It's almost wacky. But I love it. God is wacky. Don't put God in a box. I think you've only got to look at creation, which I firmly believe in, that it's a creator who made it. And then when you firmly believe that, think about it. He's a little bit wacky, isn't he? If it was me, I'd just make, you know, you'd have three colours of bird or something and three sorts of spiders. Which one do you want? One for hot countries, one for cold countries. You know, but actually, it's nothing like that. It's amazing. There's something wonderful and, in a sense, a bit zany about God. Sometimes we need to allow him to do zany things in our lives. He sometimes provides in an odd way. I mean, he provided for Elijah with ravens, for goodness sake, bringing the food. And another time, when he wanted to provide for Elijah, Elisha, I beg your pardon, he he got a, a, a very poor woman who had nothing to give Elisha his last cake, which seems pretty cruel anyway, her last cake, and then he kept providing enough for her, her son, and Elisha. So she got a wonderful blessing, but it starts off like, really weird way to do it. Why didn't he get a rich person to do it? 
you know, and so on and so forth. God is a God of miracles, but they often are not how Hollywood would portray them. Put it that way. It's not like Star Wars. This is real life. And God works in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. He really does. Let him be mysterious in your life. Let him surprise you. Just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Don't assume it's going to be a human, logical way that he provides. But he is a provider. That's the other lesson Peter gets, that the Lord Jesus is his provider. Jesus provides for his disciples. You might not have quite noticed, but really probably there was no debate about Peter paying the tax. He wasn't the son of God. And also Peter owed the tax, as did Jesus. But in the answer to the problem, Jesus just pays it for Peter. So he finds enough money in this fish's mouth, four days' wages worth of money, to pay for him, Jesus that is, and for Peter. And so there's a sort of provision that's amazing, that the Lord is our provider, isn't he? Jesus provides for his disciples, and he does, and he does it here. So this, let's move on to the second half of what I want to say. Second part, it's not the second half, I'm over halfway, don't fear. But actually the second point is this, that there was an opportunity in this mundane debt for a miracle. So first of all, there was an opportunity to meet Jesus in a new way and encounter him and have your eyes opened in a fresh way to him. Well, that's exactly what happened to Peter. That can happen to us over these gift days and the provision for them and asking God for them and praying about them and praying in our church prayer meetings about them and just being before God. Let Jesus meet you. But there was also an opportunity in this for a miracle, which is amazing. It's not as though the debt was totally out of sight of Peter's resources. I don't believe it was. I think we can have a false view that the apostles and Jesus had nothing. I don't think there's any impression from Scripture like that. Jesus certainly didn't have his own home, and he lived very free and travelled very light. But Judas Iscariot was the treasurer of the team. They did have some quite wealthy women who were part of the broader area group of disciples, and Peter owned a home. So I think to find two or four days' wages was possibly not an impossibility, like something, oh, how can I ever pay this? Like the story of the two debtors, you know, the parable. It wasn't that sort of debt. It was, to some degrees, manageable. A pain, but manageable. But in the routine and in the the sort of inconvenience of this pain of a debt, there is a miracle, and the whole thing changes. And I want to get into my heart and your heart that Jesus demonstrated that we can look for the miraculous even in the mundane and unexciting bills that we face personally and as a church. Why does it have to be just the routine? Shave a bit off here, shave a bit off there. Can we look for some special provision for God? Wouldn't it be great to see the whole thing paid in one go? Wouldn't it be great for you to have testimonies of miracles from the church? People who just never expected to have a tax rebate the other way around, perhaps. Or never expected this and that. Went to their bank account, and for some mysterious reason, there was lots more in there than they ever thought there was. And they look at all their account, they can't work it out. I mean, that sort of thing does happen sometimes. Some of you will have experienced it before. I have. Things where you think, like, where did that come from? I'm not quite sure. I didn't know I had a tax rebate due. I'm not even sure I do. But I'm going to accept. <laughs> you know, it comes through the post, it's all official. 
what, what, I, what I'm trying to say to you is let's look for something special. Because this was an opportunity for a miracle. And Jesus was teaching Peter that you can look for miracles in the ordinary. There are several more things to draw from this quickly about the miraculous. One is this. Miracles, and this is an important lesson at every level of miracles, provision, but even others as well. Miracle, real miracles, Bible miracles, real God miracles, generally require faith and obedience. Just hear that. They generally require faith and obedience. Remember, Peter was a fisherman. He had been catching fish all his life. I doubt if he'd found much money in their mouths over the years. Maybe the odd big mouth fish, there's apparently certain big mouth fishes, you know. Some of these commentators turn me off, really. They tell you, how, well, a big mouth fish, that had a big mouth. Well, it obviously had a big enough mouth, otherwise it would have sort of been sticking out, wouldn't it? But I mean, but... But how did it get in there and why was it the right amount and why was it the first fish he caught? It's still a miracle, isn't it? Though I, doubt if, I doubt if actually Peter had often found that sort of money in fish's mouths before. There was a need for a sort of obedience of faith. It was an area Peter knew about. He was a fisherman. Use your imagination. He knew about fishing. It would not have been his first thought, this is a way to pay the debt. He might have thought of, if I catch 300 fish and get a good price for them, I can pay the debt. That's fine. That's human thinking. I could go with my net. I could get a load of fish, get a good deal at the market and we'll cover the debt. That's fine. This is not what he did, is it? He went and caught one fish, opened its mouth and there's about 500 quid or something in it. Oh, that fish is all, thank goodness you're taking that out. I don't don't know what happened. I don't know what, you know, but what... it's, it's actually a bit remarkable, and it required Peter to be obedient in faith. Now, you know, real miracles, real miracles, real God miracles, are not like magic. They're not like Hollywood thinks they are. If you're looking for provision for the gift there for money, if you sort of think like you're going to sit there with your sandwiches tomorrow at work, and you're going to pray, oh God, give me money for the gift day. And when you look down, all your sandwiches have turned into wads of 20 pound notes. Just like that, while you're praying. Kabam. And suddenly they're all 20 pound notes. It'd be nice if it happened. But I don't think it really, really, really happens like that. I mean, you do hear occasional stories. It really, on the, you know, but they're usually zany, like I said, that, that people literally found something in a very unusual place. And, and that does happen, praise the Lord. But even then, there's usually an obedience element, there's a faith element, that you go somewhere not quite knowing why you go there, and somehow God leads you round to something which is amazing and provides for your needs. It's nearly always, I don't think ever, let's be honest, I don't think ever is there a faith obedience element missing from miracles. You've got to be ready to take risk with God. You have to do it. Someone said once that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And it is. Risk of looking stupid, risk of being just disappointed, risk of it not working. I don't know what risk, any risk. Risk of failure in some form. There's always there. The real miracles work like that. When you see Jesus healing people, a lot of the time... They have to stretch their hand out or go and wash the mud off or show yourself to the priest or get up off your bed. Now, you, we read it now. It's all done. We know the end. That all sounds very sensible now. But when you're lying there, you've been lying on this bed for 30 years and, and perhaps, as I suspect, you've not really 
got that much evidence you're yet healed, but you're told to get up, it's an act of faith to think, right, I'm going to get up. Or stretch your hand out. Okay, wow! You know, I mean, you seem to have to do something. Now, just bear that in mind, brothers and sisters, because when God provides, it nearly always is, it's always true almost in provision. You think of the provision uh, miracles in Scripture. Think of um, ones I've referred to. The woman who, who, who God provides oil for. Well, she has to pour the oil out. She has to get all these, uh, this is an Elisha one again. She has to get all these uh, containers, and, and she doesn't have any oil to put in them, so that's a faith action. And then she pours her oil out, the little bit she's got, and, oh, there's more for that one. And, oh, there's more for that one. And, ooh, and, and you have to do it. You don't have a great big tank of oil and then go and get the containers. It just doesn't work that way. Whether water into wine, they, they're told, there's no wine. Okay, I'll sort it, says Jesus. Fill those up with water. Now, you have to be obedient in faith. It doesn't, it's not obvious that it's going to be wine, is it? It's water. And you're putting water in these great big jugs. And then Jesus says, now pour it out and serve it to the guests. Yeah, I don't think they'll be thrilled with water. But you've got, you've got it. And as you pour it, oh, it's wine. And it's the best wine. And that's how miracles work. Feeding the 5,000. What do we think happened? Jesus went kabam and suddenly there were 5,000 big loaves of bread in a big pile. I don't think it worked like that way. You read it. It seems Jesus broke the bread, gave it to the disciples, and they went out and started giving it out. Now, you don't really know what happened, but it seems to have multiplied partly, perhaps, in Jesus' hands and partly in the disciples' hands. That Jesus gave thanks for the bread and the loaves and the fish, and he began to break it up and said, Here, Peter, go and feed some people. Here, are John, go and feed some people. And somehow, as they went and fed, it came. That seems to be what happens, best you can understand it. That's much more like what we experience. You step out on the water and then find it holds you up. You don't see it all solid and frozen and you think, oh, maybe it will take my weight after all. No, no, that's not how miracles happen, is it? You can't cut out the risk. You can't cut out the nervy bit (laughs) or the silly bit. There's a silly bit here, isn't there? Go and catch a fish, right. Okay, Lord, I'll go and catch a fish. And I'll look in its mouth. You know, that, I think, is a huge lesson for us. It's a big, big lesson. It's, it, it's doing things. It's obeying God if we're going to see breakthrough. And I've already said some of these things. These miracle, this miracle is another point, but it's like I've half said it. It's a sort of supernaturally natural thing, as I've been saying. It's, it's not like the sandwich thing turning into wads and oats. It's, it's sort of natural. He catches a fish, presumably in a conventional way, And he knows how to catch fish. He's been catching fish all his life. It's something he could easily do. He knew where to fish. He knew where the fish were. He knew what bait to use. He knew how to catch a fish. No big deal in catching a fish. So he catches a fish. And in that natural, there is a supernatural. There's a massive coin in its mouth, or a coin worth a lot of money, in its mouth. Now, actually, that is the reality for us, brothers and sisters. This is about gift days. This is about life as a Christian. Let's be excited about it. In the mundane, God can do some amazing things. You put your money on the line. You give what you can. You do what you know how to do. And somehow you look for God to do something in the midst of that. You know, that's even true with healing sometimes. Sometimes they're instantaneous. Sometimes they're not. You do what you can do. You take the medicine and you pray. 
You, you, you know, make some adjustment in your lifestyle, but you, God somehow breaks in on it. I found that to be true many, many times. Many Bible miracles are like this. Often the provision ones almost always seem to be like it. That we have to do our bit and then God comes in on it. Amen? But also see the opportunity for exciting things to happen when you are sensitive to obeying Jesus. I mean, that's the, major, the last point I want to really make on this section. Just look. This is, I keep saying this is a fairly routine thing. It's a fairly mundane thing at one level. But Peter was listening to Jesus, who interrupted what I would suggest was probably an ordinary human thinking approach. Peter comes into the house and he's going to find the money. And Jesus stops him, gives him a revelation of who Jesus is, and then directs him in a way that leads to a miracle. Are you able to obey God like that? Are you so human thinking? Are you so human resourced? Do you so plan it and just don't expect anything? Just expect this is going to happen and that's going to happen. I want to encourage you to be different about life. Not just gift days, about life, about work, about solving problems at work, about meeting your personal needs, about everything, about praying for the sick in your home and outside. Can we look for Jesus in it? Now, that isn't just, I mean, look to learn more about Jesus, like the first point. I mean, look to be led by Jesus. He'll prompt you say, why don't you try doing that? Why don't you give that away? Why don't you pray that prayer? Why don't you step out with that word of knowledge for that person at work? Why don't you, you know, you've, God's really, you've, I think, I've, I've done this, I've missed it and I've hit it. I've made mistakes and I've, where I've been in a situation and I really feel God said to me, ask that person that question. It's a rather personal question. And, and I've asked it and it's broken something open. I've done it and they've looked at me as though I was born yesterday and uh, it hasn't gone anywhere. And I have to leave that with God. But I'd rather have the risk, wouldn't you, of sometimes the excitement that if we follow Jesus in a mundane situation, we might just experience a miracle. We might just find a fish with four days' wages in its mouth. And, 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 and we might just learn that God is a generous God. Because that's what, it, this is grace in the end. This is outrageous. Why should Peter have his de- tax paid? Everybody else had to pay it with hard-earned money. I don't think Peter, as I said, was destitute. Why should he get a free gift for his tax debt? Nobody else perhaps did. Well, God's a good God. Why shouldn't God do some gracious things to us? Why, is it, why should he provide for the car park to be sold? And why this, why that? God's a gracious God, for goodness sake. He's a giving God. And Jesus is still the same yesterday, today and forever. You've got to play it by his rules, which is keep your eyes on him and follow and obey him. But he loves to give. He loves to do the extraordinary. He loves to surprise you. Peter got an undeserved bonus here. It's one thing for Jesus to say, catch the fish, that will pay mine, because I don't really ought to pay it. But being creator, I've just whistled for a fish to bring the money over. Now, that's not what it's like. There's something much more down to earth. Down to earth about the way it happens, about the lessons Peter is learning, and about what he learns here. Actually, Jesus can meet my needs. Hallelujah. Jesus meets Peter's needs as well. He doesn't earn a penny of the tax he pays off. It's all free as far as he's concerned. So over these next couple of weeks, few weeks, before we get to the gift day, let's be open to all the stuff I've been talking about this morning. 
Please hear it from my heart. Please hear it as a provocation about your life. If you're a visitor, hear it for yourself. This is about the Jesus we serve. This is about the way he likes to work. There's some mysterious aspects to it because he often works in a mysterious way when he provides for us. If you're going to walk by faith, you're not always going to do the most logical and obvious thing. Sometimes, often, you make a step out before you know the resources are there. That's very common. In fact, it's almost par for the course with faith. And, and just learn those things. Peter went off fishing because he loved Jesus and obeyed him. He knew all about fishing, but he hadn't expected what happened. Well, he didn't really know if it would happen, I suppose, is one way of putting it. He just obeyed Jesus on this rather unusual uh, sort of prompting or leading that Jesus brought to him. And the whole thing, remember, was initiated by Jesus. Let Jesus initiate some things in your life over the next few weeks. You're on the way to do the routine thing and to scrape about, see what you can manage. And let Jesus come in and speak to you. Amen? Let's all do that. Let's stand together.